Ladies and gentlemen, ghosts and ghouls, creepies and crawlies, you're listening to WHOO 98.6 for White State University. My name is Mirkala, but you can call me Callie. Or if you know too many Miracolas, any Miracola Carmilla variety is quite popular for all of my 1790s babies. I'd like to be, hopefully not the first, to welcome you all to a brand new semester. It is so nice to see so many new faces, and not just because the face stealer had a night on the town. It is just about sunrise, so as the effects of curfew begin to kick in, go ahead and polish off your last meal thank them kindly, and get ready for bed, or casket, or lab slab, or wherever ghosts live. Sun's coming up any moment now, and trust me, my sweet baby freshman, you don't want to be out when curfew begins. If you're a regular listener to the show, welcome back. And if you're new here, welcome to White State, and more importantly, welcome to Human Stories. As our university's foremost and only human studies major, I spend some time every night to shed some insight on humans and share a lovely coffin time story from the human culture. Who are these mysterious, mystifying, and markedly delicious creatures? Are they more than just a measly meal? Join me on my morningly journey. I've dedicated my academic career to showing that humans are not just the main source of iron for vampires such as myself, nor the before life of many of the ghosts, ghouls, and zombies we know and love, but are worthy of academic scrutiny. How can we eat what we do not understand? But before we dive into tonight's story, a few announcements. As our most highly listened to radio show on campus, Thank you for that, my darlings. The faculty likes to use us as a venue for school-wide announcements, beginning with a friendly reminder that we will have classes on Saber Day. We know it's tradition to go back home, maybe drive out to the beach, stab a few people, but just be sure to get it done in time to come back for classes. And remember, if you're going to Saber, do it responsibly. Go somewhere off campus. Any upperclassmen will be happy to show you where the campus boundaries are. So will campus security, but they get grumpy if you bother them before their first human sacrifice of the day, so just watch out for that. Club night is coming up on the 15th. Every on-campus club will congregate in Graveyard A under a beautiful waxing gibbous moon to attempt to indoctrinate our new freshmen using rhythmic hypnotic chanting, fumes wafted over boiling cauldrons of coercion potions, and snacks. If you would like to start a club this year, please come by Dr. Secuta's office during office hours at 3.58 to 4.07 a.m. in the upper attic of Poe by appointment only. Appointments can be made via Calendly, through a link obtained only by summoning the old gods, prostrating yourself before them, and bartering bits of your mortal soul for it. Unless it's a full moon, in which case, run. Just run. Finally, as we kick off this fresh new semester, the faculty would like to remind you to please refrain from using fireworks, lighters, matches, and explosives in the fire-free dorms and class buildings. The dorms are separated for a reason, not to divide our student body, but to support and nurture all students, fire elementals, and animated scarecrows alike. 
And unless you have a letter from a doctor proving you medically have to be on fire, you have no excuse to bring open flames, flamethrowers, fireball spells, or particularly fiery haunted jack-o'-lanterns into buildings we share with the firephobic. I know it's embarrassing, but take the trek to Unhealth Services and get that letter. Or talk with your advisor about putting a heat advisory on your record so we can keep our Frankenstein friends from rampaging and destroying the Stevenson building again. It was bad enough rebuilding it after the Reaper riots of 16. Man, 1816 was a bad year. I had bangs back then. Ugh. Now that announcements are done and the Reapers are unionized, let's take a look at some paid advertisements. The Student Gorgon Union is offering a brand new escort service. Don't feel safe walking back to your dorm at night? The zombie across the street giving you the creeps and not in a good way? Has that snake man not blinked once while staring at you? That last one is probably because he has no eyelids, but otherwise, call 1-800-666-ROCK to have a Gorgon escort you home. Give those creeps a stare of your own, have a gorgon, turn him to stone. Delightful! And with a catchy jingle at the end. Oh, uh, it looks like I've got another message coming through. This one is also from the faculty. Check your email. Oh, okay, we've got one more announcement from the faculty. Do not, I repeat, do not use the Gorgon Escort Service. It is strictly against campus policy to intentionally turn your fellow students to stone. It's in the honor code and everything. This not only goes against our values as an institution, but is also super illegal. I repeat, do not call that number. That number, I'll remind you, is 1-800-666-ROCK. Do not call it. All right, now that both sides of the story have been presented, I'll let you make that choice. Oh, another message. No, there is no choice. Don't do it. Okay, thank you to the faculty for sharing their opinion on the ongoing debate. Do you have an opinion? A question? A human-related query you can't answer through Google? Let me hear it. Send us a letter. To contact us, write your message on a parchment, mist it gently with unholy water, roll it up, tie it with a lock of your own hair, and recite our incantation address. I'd read the address for you now, but I don't want to teleport back out to the lobby, do I? Also, I don't have any unholy water on me right now, so I'd probably just turn myself into an alligator or something. Once you've done that, go ahead and take your school-distributed sacrificial dagger, which should be brand spanking new for the start of the school year, and let just a couple drops of your blood into your sacrificial inkwell. This you should have gotten your freshman year. The school doesn't exactly have the budget for new crystal inkwells every year. And once you've done that, sign your name on the outside of the scroll, your true name, not your safe name, and it should disappear in about two heartbeats and be at our headquarters in Peterson in three to five business seconds. Or you can just email us at humanstoriespod at gmail.com. Okay, our first letter comes from Magda, a freshman and a tentative library sciences major. Magda writes... Dear Callie, I'm a freshman. I've been on campus for a few weeks now, just like everyone else, but I still feel out of place. I'm a vampire. <gasps> a sister in fangs. Are you in Stoker? That's the vampire-only house. I'd recommend it. Sometimes non-vampire roommates freak out when they find an unfamiliar bat sleeping by hanging under their bed. At least, mine did. And coming from a place from such a small vampire population like I did, it was so nice to meet people like me. Okay, okay, I'll stop rambling. 
I'm from a tiny all-vampire town in Romania, and I didn't make it into Stoker, so I'm having a bit of culture shock being surrounded by all these different monsters. Oh, <laughs> kind of the opposite. Uh, never mind. On top of that, I have no friends, I have no one to sit with at meals, no one to walk to class with, and no one to hunt with on the weekends. Mm, that can be a big hang-up. Hunting alone can be isolating and unsafe. Any advice for making friends and talking to new people? Your freaked-out freshman, Magda. Well, Magda, there's lots of ways to meet new people and make new friends. I'd recommend joining clubs, uh, talking to people in your classes, doing a little bit of blood sacrifice to the immortal White R Overlord in exchange for better social skills, and going to freshman events. There are tons of new events for new folks coming up in these next few weeks, some of which you might even hear advertised on our very show. And we are a welcoming, diverse community, ready to accept anyone. Unless you're the kind of person who sets fires in Shelley, that's not cool. And Magda, I'd recommend making some non-vampire friends. Don't be weird about it. Don't tell them why you're doing it. But talk to people who are different from you. I promise you, you will learn something. I mean, why do you think I study humans? I love learning. And if you chose White State, I have a feeling you do too. Oh, Antichrist, I sound like such a shill. I promise, no one is paying me to do this. They should be, but they're not. I just, I have a lot of feelings about this stuff. It's my passion. Okay, enough of that sappy stuff. Time to talk about what we're here for. This is your cue to snuggle up in your den, crypt, or open grave and get ready to fall asleep to the sweet, dulcet tones of a human story. I thought I'd bring in the new semester with a classic, quintessential human story that speaks to human values and traditions. A story by humans, about humans, and only enjoyed by humans. And me! And now you. This story is a bit of the opposite of a fan favorite, but it's my favorite. And an important stepping stone in understanding humans. Alright, this story is called The Gift of the Magi. Our story begins in the dead of winter. It is mid-December, and humans all throughout the town are preparing for an archaic tradition known as Christ Mass. Now, Christ Mass is a religious rite observed by many humans. Long, long ago, an inordinately popular carpenter died on a T-shaped piece of wood. This is where we get crucifixes. If you ask me, someone dying because he touched a crucifix is textbook vampire, or at least lesser demon, but I'm assured he was a human. This made everyone so sad that they spend up to four months mourning his passing every year at a completely arbitrarily chosen time, eating cakes laden with fruit, and shamelessly promoting capitalism by selling cars. This period is known to them as the Honda Days. One of the smaller traditions involved purchasing gifts for loved ones. This theme seems to have taken the back burner when compared to the promotion of capitalism, but they go claw in tentacle, or, as the humans say, hand in hand. One human found herself miserable these Honda Days. She had pulled together her pennies and found herself with only $1.87. This was not enough to buy a suitable gift for her beloved, much less a car. Saddened that she could not express her love for her husband or her capitalist overlords, she wept. This human is named Della, 
and she is Mrs. James Dillingham Young. You may think that James is a strange name for a woman, and it is. James Dillingham Young is her husband, and it is human custom for a wife to assume her husband's identity upon marriage, presumably to avoid the fae taking her true name. Della and James were rich in love, but poor in everything else. They lived in a small, one-room apartment. They rented for nearly half of James's meager salary. They had, however, two things which filled them with pride beyond their humble livings. James's father, James Dillingham Young, had passed on to him a pocket watch, passed on to him from his father, James Dillingham Young, in turn, all the way from James Dillingham Young to James Dillingham Young, and back and back and back until you reached Jacques Dillingham Young, from when they lived in France. The watch was gorgeous, a solid gold timepiece, with intricately carved curlicue hands and set with crystals. It was a watch fit for a king. James treasured it more than anything, besides, of course, his dear wife, Della. The other thing that brought them pride was Della's hair. Fine and chestnut brown, her hair shone in the sun almost like gold. It flowed all the way to her knees, forming a billowing curtain about her shoulders. Della cared for her hair above anything, except, of course, her dear husband, James. Della dried her tears and reached up to unpin her hair. It tumbled to its full length from where it was restrained, in her historical updo typical for women of the period, known as a beehive. She admired her hair in their narrow hall mirror, running her hands through its thickness. She set her jaw. She had made up her mind. The sign read, Mrs. Sophroni, hair articles of all kinds. Della took one final deep breath, stealing herself, and walked in. Do you buy hair? she asked, nervously fingering a loose lock. I buy hair, Mrs. Saffroni said, presumably to resell them as spell components and for ritual sacrifice. Take off your hat and let me see it. Della removed her historically typical hat, known as a fez, and her hair fell like a brown waterfall. Gross. Twenty dollars. The deal was done. Della sat, shoulders tense, eyebrows knitted, and bit her lip through the awful snip of Mrs. Saffroni's scissors. When the deed had finished, Della rose, retrieved her money, and drifted like a ghost out the door. She had some shopping to do. Two hours later, Della was nervously preparing dinner, wondering what her Jim would think of her now. Would he still love her? Would he find her hideous? Della snorted to herself. He would say she looked like a girl who sings and dances for money. These women are known to humans as influencers. Finally, James returned right on time. James was never late. She could hear his dull brown boots plodding down the hallway. She twisted the towel in her hands anxiously. What would he think? The door opened. James stood in the foyer that was also the parlor that was also the kitchen. It was a small apartment. He froze. Della smiled weakly. What is he doing? What is that strange expression? She thought. Oh, Jim, don't look at me like that, Jim. I cut off my hair. I sold it. I couldn't live through the Honda days without getting you a gift. My hair will grow again. You don't care, do you? You cut off your hair, Jim said, still fixing her with that strange expression. Cut it off and sold it, said Della. Don't you like me now? I'm me, Jim. 
I'm the same without my hair. James looked around the room as though he would find it woven into the rug. Your hair is gone. Yes. Della was now concerned for his mental well-being. In, in exchange for money. That's what selling means. You're a salesman, Jim. You should know this. Huh. Della gave a start. James was laughing. He tossed a package onto the dining room table that was also the coffee table that was also their nightstand. James was still laughing. He pointed to the package, laughing still. Della, deeply concerned, picked up the heavy parcel and unwrapped it. Staring back at her were the combs, the fine, jeweled combs she had admired in the shop window for months now. Oh, James, she said. They're lovely. My hair will grow back, but how... I sold my pocket watch, James said, now done laughing. I couldn't bear the thought of celebrating the death of a carpenter with twelve friends at the wrong time without getting you a gift. You sold your... Della glanced down at her own parcel. Wordlessly, she slid it down the table to him, which was easy because the table was very small. She bade him to open it. He did. James silently stared into his lap at the fine gold watch chain Della had bought him, perfect for his fine gold watch. Della silently stared at her fine jeweled combs. They twinkled ironically in the twilight, like they were laughing at her. Well, Della laughed right back. She laughed so hard, James couldn't help but laugh as well. The husband and wife laughed that evening, laughing well into the velvet night and laughing all the way to morning, laughing like they were young lovers again. See, the gifts they gave each other were not wise, for each sold to their most valuable possession for a Honda Day's gift. But the pure expression of their love for one another is the wisest, most human thing of all. And if you're wondering what a Magi is, well, no one knows. I don't know. My professor doesn't know. We're thinking it's some sort of nerdy card game, but we're not sure. Well, thank you, my darlings, for joining me in the semester's inaugural broadcast. I look forward to joining you all throughout the school year. It'll be fun. <laughs> Until then. Good morning, White State. Good morning. Unpleasant dreams.